search warrant! Police first Do not touch anything. Could be no one left alive in here. Do I just press the button? Press the red button. Just press it. I assume they're paying extra for this. Yes. This is a remarkable story. Hello? Hello? Masher turns your vegetables into a tasty, mm, mouth-watering paste. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Fresh Cuts. This is Mike. Joining me, as always, it's Mr. Venom. What's up, Venom? How are you? Greetings and salutations, trick-or-treaters. How the hell are you doing, Mike? I'm, I'm doing pretty well. Good. Had had a long search for the old working VCR for this uh, <laughs> episode. <laughs> I played it on Betamax. Uh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, joining us as well, it's Don and Ellie. What's up, Don? How are you? Yeah, what's uh, going on, guys? Let's uh, get it this uh, right over and uh, it's time to party. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we had another week outside of theaters, um, so we went with another VOD one. This one was a no-brainer. We've covered other entries of the series, and uh, when they announced this one, I was like, okay, cool, doing another one. Um, and that would be VHS 94, obviously indicating found footage tape found from the mid-90s. This one, uh, I, I, it looks like the um, uh, the synopsis on IMD kind of goes over the wraparound. So a police SWAT team investigates a mysterious VHS tape and discovers a sinister cult that has pre-recorded material which uncovers a nightmarish conspiracy. Hmm. Okay, I guess so. <laughs> I guess they got a lot out of that wraparound, maybe more than me. Um, so we will open up with our usual general thoughts so venom i'll kick it to you what did you think of vhs 94 all right folks uh we're gonna be quick with this one because as it is october a couple of us actually have some engagements later in the evening so i'm gonna be as quick as possible uh i also want to caveat my review by saying that vhs is my favorite modern um, both found footage and horror anthology series that's still going today. I love the first two VHS movies. Three is obviously the weakest of the of the original three, but I still found segments in the third one that I really enjoy. So that kind of lets you know where I'm coming from. So VHS 94, I fucking love this movie. I had so much fun beginning to end with this one. 
Um, there is a segment in this movie that may be my favorite horror anthology um, segment of all time. Literally last night, as I finished watching this, I sat down quietly in my living room for about 20 minutes trying to think of every horror anthology that I love. Nothing from Creepshow was better. Nothing from Trick or Treat. Tales from the Dark Side. Bolts of Horror. Uh, from a Whisper to a Scream. Name the horror anthology. And I think I may have found my new favorite anthology segment in this movie. Obviously, we'll get into it in the spoiler section. This movie, if you're a fan of VHS, to me, there's no reason you shouldn't love this one. I'm not sure if this movie is necessarily the one to bring in new fans into the franchise. Though I will say that, for my, in my opinion, all four segments were strong. Obviously, one in particular actually, you know, really struck me as a, as a powerful segment, both visually and with its message. And I, I just can't get over how great that segment was. I had an ear-to-ear -ear grin for that entire segment. Um, so obviously, the formula is the same with this as most VHS movies. In this case, it's a police SWAT team, um, you know, going to a location, thinking that it's some kind of drug operation. But then it turns out, you know, there's something much more sinister going on. And uh, the movie just kind of goes from there. All four segments are, are very separate. Nothing really connects them other than a VHS tape. And uh, the wraparound, you know, it, it doesn't do what a lot of horror movies are doing where the final segment kind of connects with the wraparound, though I will say the weakest part of this film for me was the wraparound. I was on board for it pretty much the entire time. But then when we get the actual final scene, like the end of the wraparound, I was kind of unhappy with that. I, I, I thought it was a little lame, a little bit of a cop out. It was a cool attempt, but I feel like they could have done something a little bit stronger. So to keep this as short as possible, I'm going to say I absolutely love this movie and it instantly vaulted into my top three for 2021. Wow. Very positive praiser. <laughs> Let's go to Don. What did you think of VHS 94? All right. Um, so as many of you know, I'm a huge fan of anthologies as well. Um, maybe not to uh, the extent of Venom is, but um, I, I do want to caveat this by saying that I utterly loathe part one. I utterly hate it. I think it's one of the worst films in the genre. And I found it one of the worst films in the entire decade. Um, I, I'm not a fan of one at all. I only really like maybe two segments in part one. And I'm only, I, I'm saying this just to give you a bit of a background because I haven't seen two or three yet. Uh, one turned me off so badly I had very little interest in seeing two or three. Um, so I, I've seen, there's only two segments in one that I really like. Um, with that being said, uh, if, this is any indication, uh, as well as Venom's praise of the series, I may need to revisit them because I, I really enjoyed this one. Um, I, I, I have a sneaking suspicion I know what Venom's uh, highly praised segment <laughs> is. Uh, I, I, I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say um, robotics are very heavily featured in that one because... Um, judging by the giggling, I'm going to be um, just as equally praised um boasting or I, I should say of uh, that segment as well which uh, i will fully agree is one of the best segments in an anthology film i've seen in quite a while um a couple of the other segments are fun um they're not i would say as big and as grand as uh what we got in that that one special segment um 
Yeah, uh, I'll also agree. The wraparound of this one, in set, in terms of a setup for a anthology film, it's really good in theory, in execution. It's just, ugh. Um, and this is probably, I'd say, one of the weakest setups for an anthology film. In terms of actual execution, I, um, I've seen um, out... Uh, Without taking into account, like, uh, you know, just indie films that are trying to grab a bunch of shorts and, you know, maybe provide some kind of framework for why they're together. Because um, I've seen a, quite a few anthologies that have done that, that have just taken, you know, locally produced shorts over the last two or three years, maybe string a couple thousand dollars together for an in, for an intro and then put it out as a new anthology feature and say, here's a new film for you. Um, without taking that into consideration, uh, the film is fun. Um, I do agree that this may not be a great introductory piece to the franchise but yeah uh, i'm on board with a lot of it uh, there's a two segments i there's one segment i really like one i kind of two i kind of like and then one that i was kind of not really feeling um and then the wraparound is just terrible but <laughs> overall um high praise not to uh you know the degree of venom but um I enjoyed my time with it, and I definitely recommend it. Cool. Um, so as far as I go, yeah, I've been a fan of pretty much all the VHS movies to varying degrees. Uh, I do think uh, VHS Viral, the third one, was probably the weakest. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I will say that, you know, I haven't seen uh, any of them recently, Obviously, besides this one, of course. But I, I don't want to make like an absolute statement when I say this because it has been a while. But say this actually might be my favorite one from front to back, like yes. from opening to closing credits. Because while I still want to say, um, what's that one? Safe Haven, is it called? Yeah. Um, Same director. That that still might be my overall favorite segment out of any of the franchise and i i really did like the uh that kind of haunted house one that was either in the first or second one um but from but the 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 difference with this this one 94 compared to the other ones is i felt like the other ones had such peaks and valleys to it where this one even if you even for people who don't think any individual segment hits the height of safe haven if that happens to be their favorite, I guess. Um, I still say there's nothing. Well, uh, maybe the, I would say maybe besides the wraparound, which I wasn't overly thrilled about in this one, but the actual segments themselves, I think where there wasn't a weak one among them. Um, now, obviously, with an anthology, we're, we'll have our favorites, but there was never like and i watched this a second time today just to make sure because I was like, was there something I was missing or didn't? pay attention to enough that i I, that is weaker than i initially thought but no man i had a i had fun with all the segments and it's i think it's even more uh of a nice surprise coming off viral because once kind of viral ended up like a lot lower than the other two to me i was a little afraid of like okay are are they just throwing another one out here just to do it because maybe it's you know a cheaper production to make but no man i was pretty uh, pleased with VHS 94 
and um, I could see myself returning to it soon. I, it almost makes me want to go through like the whole franchise now. And oh yeah, I'm someone had the someone had the capability to like splice together like all the best segments. But um, but yeah, VHS ninety four, a high recommend from me. It it's on Shutter, which has already been mentioned. So really, it's out there for everyone to check out. Um, and I I am interested to see where other people rank it among the franchise because Mm -hmm. you know it's very i'd say it's a very rare thing for like the fourth installment in a franchise to be someone's favorite but i think at this point you know i'm pretty confident in saying it is my favorite right now i i've i've always said vhs2 was the favorite you know leading up to this one um i am gonna have to do a side-by-side comparison and actually watch them both because as as I sit in my chair right now, I'm with Mike. This is my favorite entry into the franchise. And it is funny that you mentioned Safe Haven from VHS2 as being, you know, most people's favorite segment from that entry. Um, uh, that's the exact same director as the segment, uh, the biomechanical segment in this movie. So it makes absolute sense that, uh, you know, people are going to gravitate mm-hmm. towards that segment. Yeah. Indonesian yeah. horror, man. Ah. I I I, I want to eat it up constantly. It's so great. Yeah, <laughs> and it, it, it's it's cool that it lived up to Safe Haven because mm-hmm. when the standard was set so uh, high, you're like, oh, um, it's almost Mike, like Mike, if you uh, just uh, make something. Mike, Uh-oh. Mike, fair yeah. warning. Uh, remember, I haven't seen any of these, so uh, be mindful of spoilers for Safe Haven. <laughs> oh no, I'm not going to spoil anything. I, I, I'm just, I'm just, I was I, just talking just, about. I know, I know. I'm just, I, I, I just, I want to be mindful of spoilers because I haven't seen two or three yet. So I, I'm just putting it back out there in case you guys forgot. Nope. It, it's all carry yeah. on the conversation, but I'm just saying, you know, be mindful because I haven't seen two or three. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. I mean, I was merely just going to say because of the high standard that it's set. You know, there's always that worry that like, oh well, he, if he comes back and just makes something okay or decent, then it's like, oh, but no, he pretty much made another really good one. Yep. An absolute classic. And like I said, I I am very confident sitting here and saying that is probably my favorite um, horror anthology segment of all time. I, like I said, I'm going to go back and check out VHS 2 um, and check, you know, Safe Haven and uh, Terror. Terror is actually the name of the segment in this film um, from the same director as Safe Haven. So I'm definitely going to watch those to really just definitively say which one is my favorite. But yeah, after a couple of watches, I absolutely adore VHS 94. I mean, this this is fun personified for me. I'm not going to sit here and say this is a 10 out of 10. It's absolutely not. It's not a perfect film. It's not a flawless film. But for what I want out of my horror anthologies, this gave me everything I wanted. About, about the only thing uh, on top of what we got that I would have liked is a stronger like end to the entire festivities. Uh, a better finale for the wraparound. That's all. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I was on board for the finale. Uh, excuse me. I was on board with the wrap up, uh, the wraparound uh, as the movie's going along. I'm like, it's it, it's kind of basic bitch, but whatever. I, I'm still, you know, VHS's wraparounds generally aren't anything stellar to begin with. If you remember, you know, from the first part, the one that Don has seen, it was just basically those burglars breaking into a house and the house just happened to have a bunch of VHS tapes in it. So um, every movie kind of does something different with the wraparound, but it's never like even remotely the strongest part of the film. And uh, that's one of the things I appreciate about that, because, you know, there there have been, especially over the last couple of years, there have actually been some horror anthologies that 
you know, I, I would tend to believe that the wraparound is the best part of it. And the wraparound should never be the best part of an anthology. So VHS does it right. Well, they covered uh, one in Scare Package, so. Ah, very true. Yeah. Or Mortuary I, I, Collection, too. A Mortuary Collection, yeah, that's a little bit different because it's so flashy, you know, Hollywood, yeah. you know, a lot of budget in there. It just looks really nice, which I totally agree with you. I love the film. Um, yeah, but this that's one, what I'm saying. I, those, are like, those are like the main. Mm-hmm. ones that I can that just come to mind just I mean maybe because we covered them but oh sure sure absolutely yeah. and obviously the classics you know creep show and stuff like that you know have the classic comic book wraparound which you know and of course in the original creep show with the dad and the son blah 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 so you know um the the point of the matter is is that the wraparound should never be the strongest part of the film and even in the films that Don just mentioned the wraparound isn't the strongest part it's just that they're really well done like you know scare package mortuary collection um, hell, even most recently with uh, Bad Candy, which none of us really enjoyed all that much, I did kind of like the radio station wraparound, very similar to, you know, uh, William Shatner and Tales from Halloween. So, uh, I mean, folks, I'll tell you right now, um, as far as I'm concerned, the rest of the show is going to be a love fest for this film. I mean, I just all four segments. I mean, obviously, some are stronger than others. But all like even the worst of the four for me still entertained me to no end. Great gore, great effects. Even when they use CGI effects, um, they still utilize good lighting so that it's not as obvious that they're CG, you know, knife wounds and things like that and blood splatter. So at least in that case, they took advantage of their lower budget and, you know, tweaked the lighting and things like that so that their CG is a little bit more passable. So, yeah, I mean, like I said, other than the wraparound, I will have nothing negative to say about this. Uh, yeah, pretty much same. Like, I <laughs> don't really have anything negative at all to say about it. It'll just be a matter of, like, which segments we praise more than yep. other ones. But other than that, yeah, the the arrow is pointing up all around on this one. There you go. All right, folks, this is your final spoiler warning. If you have not watched VHS 94, what the hell is wrong with you? Get to Shudder. If you don't have Shudder, break into one of your buddies' houses that has Shudder. Watch it immediately. It's just that fun. And like I said, I understand that I'm going to be in the minority with all the praise I'm giving this movie because I, I, it's not hyperbole when I say this jumped into my top three for the year. I mean, this is solidly sitting between St. Maud and Queen of Black Magic right now, uh, which are obviously two films I absolutely adore from this year. So, yeah, uh, if you're ready for the love fest, what do you say, boys? Want to get into it? My heart's beating. All right. <laughs> <laughs> So, as we've already mentioned multiple times, the movie has a wraparound of a SWAT team breaking into a large warehouse. Um, they think that it's some kind of drug operation. Um, you hear over the intercoms, you know, like their superior officers constantly asking them, did you find any drugs yet? Did you find any drugs yet? But all these, all the SWAT team finds is just piles upon piles of VHS tapes and dead bodies pretty much strewn throughout the, the facility. For the most part, it looks like most of the people pulled their own eyes out. It looks like a lot of them are, you know, their eyes are basically right next to them on the chair that they're sitting at and their dead bodies are just hanging around. There were a couple of other um, different ways that people died. In one scene, we see like uh, dismembered body parts kind of sticking, coming out of a room, uh, one of the rooms in the facility. So obviously there's a lot of heavy shit going on here. 
Uh, so we go into our first segment, which is called Storm Drain. Um, as I said, I'm going to go through these really quick, uh, you know, get the guy's opinion on each segment, and then we're going to go on our merry way. So first segment called Storm Drain. Uh, basically opens up with a news reporter who is investigating appearances of what people are calling the rat man. Uh, basically, multiple people in the town are reporting that they see this half man, half rat creature come out of the sewers every now and again, come out of like one particular outlet in the sewers. Um, our reporter and her cameraman go into the sewer. Uh, she's very reluctant to go in at first. You know, she has like the prim proper. Oh, I'm not jumping into a sewer. I'm not going to wait around in raw sewage. But then once she kind of realizes that there's homeless people living down, down there, she realizes that there might be a Pulitzer Prize in it for her if she reports on all these people and, you know, kind of tells their story. So she now willingly wants to go into the storm drain. Um, long story short, uh, you know, we get a couple of chase set pieces, you know, throughout this segment. Long story short, we do eventually meet the Rat Man, and it turns out that the Rat Man actually has a cult of followers. I'd say probably about a dozen people that are living down in the sewers, and they worship the Rat Man. The Rat Man looks... Um, it's a mixture of uh, practical and CG, but it's very effective. It's not an actor in a suit. It's mostly a uh, prop, you know, like a puppet type thing. Um, very slimy, very creepy, blah, blah, blah. Um, we see the the rat man kind of uh, try to, uh, basically the cult tries to initiate our reporter and cameraman into the cult. Um, and basically they do this by uh, putting some of the rat man's saliva, whatever it is that he's, you know, that's coming out of his mouth. And they just uh, put some on your face. If it has an acid effect where it starts to melt your face, then you are deemed not worthy. And, you know, they just let you die. But uh, when it came to our reporter, they went ahead and, uh, you know, brought her up close to the rat man. He went ahead and drooled some of his saliva on her and she did not die. It did not melt her face off. Um, we then get the closing of the segment where it's a few days later. Uh, the reporter has been missing for a few days. It might even be more than a few days. It might have been like a week or more. Um, and, uh, you know, she's acting normal. Uh, she's actually back on the broadcast. She's, uh, you know, live on television reporting on, you know, the things that she saw. And then, of course, she just goes on with the rest of her normal job talking about today's sports and blah, blah, blah. But then in the middle of the broadcast, you see her start to convulse and she basically turns her head towards uh, the newscaster that's sitting next to her. And she spits some of that rat man goo onto his face and we get an absolute epic face melt scene. This scene blows poltergeist out of the water as far as face peeling scenes, this thing. It, and it's a multi-stage one too. Like at first you see the stuff start to burn his flesh. Um, he starts, you know, obviously screaming, ranting, but then eventually just like poltergeist, he actually peels his face off. Cause the, the goop, that she spit in his face is basically just <laughs> breaking down his flesh. Oh, we get, like I said, it's, it's a great practical effect and it's a beautiful way to end this segment. She then just, <laughs> after doing this on live television, she just wipes her mouth and then continues with the newscast. Like nothing ever happened. And that's the end of our first segment storm drain. What'd you guys think of the rat man? 
uh, looked incredible. Practical. Mm-hmm. Fa- I mean, one thing VHS has always kind of been good at is making things look uh, good for like the budget. You know, yep. they never turn to like cheap uh, CGI whenever possible. And uh, when that rat first comes out of the tunnel or yeah. the sewer grate or whatever the heck that was, it's pretty cool. And I liked how the segment progressed. Kind of, mm-hmm. they run into like the first dude, and then there's a bunch of people out there, and then you you realize, okay, there's actually like some type of cult around Ratman. <laughs> and I like how it ended with the newscast too. Um, yeah. It kind of reminded me of the howling, how she, yes. how D. Wallace came out to like tell the world about it, and uh, so it kind of felt like almost like a throwback to that in a way. Exactly, a very strong segment to open up our festivities for VHS ninety four. Uh, Don, anything you want to say about Ratman? Uh, no, I got no, no real issues with it. Um, I love the stuff in the tunnels, really at- creepy and atmospheric. The setup <laughs> is wonderful. The cult works for me. Uh, I, I do th- think it kind of ran on just a, maybe five minutes too long. Um, I th- that stupid little blender commercial just kind of throws the pacing off a bit for me. <laughs> What's funny is I was just about to praise I that. know. <laughs> but we'll get to it. Um, yeah. I, I, I know. Yeah, it's uh, directed mm-hmm. by uh, Stephen Kostansky, so I know why it's in there. But it, for me, it just kind of throws the pacing off just because it's like this quick cut to it, and then it cuts back uh-huh. to the broadcast. So it's kind of like this weird little... Uh-huh. It, it, it felt the exact same thing as like the Cheddar Goblin and Mandy, where it's just this weird, odd cutaway for no reason that just disrupts yeah. the tempo for me. I hear you. I yeah. Hear you. Um, I, I don't have much, uh, <laughs> I don't have any issue with it stylistically or anything like that. It's just, it just disrupts the tempo for me. But uh, um, yeah, uh-huh. it's just, but yeah, it's the only issue for me. Um, I, I love the, re- I love it. It's one of my it's yeah. the big favorite. Awesome. Uh, So, yeah, as Don mentioned, after we get the first segment, we actually get kind of a WNUF Halloween special style cutaway to a commercial break. During the commercial break, we get a commercial for something called the Veggie Masher. And literally all it is is like uh, like a factory press that just is squishing all the vegetables to make them in almost into like mashed vegetables. Like, you know, instead of mashed potatoes, you're eating mashed broccoli or mashed whatever. Mm-hmm. But the thing makes so much of a mess that it's absolutely fucking hysterical that anybody would ever buy it. Like there's no guard around the actual press. So like a kid could stick his hand in there. There's nothing that catches. Yeah, I got that. <laughs> I got that. <laughs> uh, there's, it, it, so you're literally, it's just mashed vegetable all over. Yeah. And yeah, as Don mentioned, this particular, uh, just that segment, the commercial, is directed by Stephen Kostansky, of course, the director of my favorite movie from 2017, The Void, and uh, this year's Psycho Goreman as well. So yeah, we got a little bit of pedigree there. Uh, And I also forgot to mention that the director of Storm Drain was Chloe Akuno. Um, not familiar with her, but you know, great little segment. So, uh, you know, hopefully we see more great. I've seen the name floating around, but I can't Mm -hmm. place her with anything. I hear you. I'm saying I've seen, I've seen the name floating around, but I can't tire to anything. Mm -hmm. No, no, I hear you. All right. So, uh, at this point we go back to the warehouse, the SWAT team's going around. I mean, most of the segments back at the warehouse, you know, are fairly, you know, okay. But, you know, we've all already mentioned that it's kind of underwhelming wraparound, but, uh, like I said, every now and again, we do get, uh, you know, some good gore there at the warehouse, seeing some dead bodies lying around, blah, blah, blah. So at this point, we go to our second segment. Now, 
Uh, depending on where you look online, this segment is either called The Wake or The Empty Wake. Those are the two titles that I've seen. So um, you decide which one is the correct one. Even on IMDb, if you go to two different IMDb pages, you'll see The Wake and The Empty Wake. So as the title implies, um, we are at a funeral home, which for some reason is open 24 hours. I've never heard of that before, but okay, I'll take it. Basically, there is a wake occurring at 9 p.m. that evening that's going to go all night until the next morning. The only thing is that there's a tornado going on outside. So basically, no one shows up for this wake. So this poor girl, uh, she's young. She obviously hasn't worked there for very long. It's probably her first night working here. Um, you know, she ends up having to call the boss multiple times because of little issues that she's finding. And then, of course, uh, more supernatural things start happening. And just out of fear, she continues to call her boss until he finally says, if you call me again, you're fired. And basically, she never calls him again. But basically what happens is, is that she's there by herself at the funeral home. Um, at one point, the power goes out and she thinks that she hears moving inside the casket. Uh, before the owner of the funeral home or manager leaves, he tells her the story about the guy. Um, you know, he basically was in some kind of accident that basically just destroyed his head. Uh, the coroner had to put this guy back together somehow um, per the family's instructions. You know, um, and he even says, I was able to put the body back together, but the head is an absolute wreck. I did the best I could. Luckily, it is a closed casket wake, so it shouldn't be that big an issue. Um, and then after the power goes out and then comes back on, we finally do get a guest. A single elderly gentleman comes in. Uh, he literally stays at the wake for like one minute. Um, he basically is sitting there and you hear him saying something in a foreign tongue and it's not subtitled. So, you know, he could either be saying a prayer in another language or more accurately, I think he was doing something specific to raise that body because later um, during a chase scene, our girl who's left there by herself realizes that she's been locked into the funeral home. Uh, that old man, when he left, apparently chained all the uh, all the exits to the building from the outside with locks and chains. So uh, that kind of tells me that that guy resurrected that, uh, you know, the victim for whatever reason. But uh, like I said, throughout the night, our girl, our attendant hears uh, noises coming out of the casket, like shuffling in there and every now and again, maybe a knock. But finally, you know, um, later in the evening, uh, the casket actually falls completely off the stand that it's on. Like whatever is inside the casket uh, gets so violent and jittery that it knocks the whole thing off. She freaks out and runs away. This is when she realizes that she's locked in uh, to the funeral home from the outside. So obviously either the owner or manager did that or that old guy who, you know, showed up late for the wake. So now, at this point, I mean, it's such a it's an isolated segment. It takes place in one location. At this point, I'm thinking to myself, it's going to be a matter of what comes out of that box that dic dictates how I feel about this segment. Well, folks, we get once again, we get a cool ass creature design. Uh, basically, um, just before the creature finally decides uh, you could call it a zombie, undead, whatever you want to call it. 
Uh, but before the person comes out of the casket, she actually gets a phone call from a friend of hers at the newspaper telling her, hey, I figured out who that guy is that's having the wake. And just as she's about to explain that the guy actually killed himself, he jumped off a building, hence why his head was completely destroyed. Uh, the power once again goes out and the phone goes out as well. Basically, you know, she's lost complete power. The tornado outside is whipping, you know, rain and wind around like crazy. And then we get a look at our, you know, creature. And basically it's, you know, uh, your standard kind of zombie looking character, except his head is cut in half in a diagonal cut, literally exposing brain and skull and everything else to the point where when he first falls out of the casket, the half of the head that's not attached falls down onto the ground and you can actually see the eye moving on its own like this thing is like legitimately been brought back from the dead uh we we get a little bit of a chase sequence nothing major suddenly we hear the roof collapse uh, like um all the cameras that are there are there to obviously record the wake and probably for security purposes as well but obviously once the tornado really hits something maybe a tree or something comes through the roof and literally the funeral home is demolished and this is in the middle of our creature chasing the girl around. She, at one point, realizes that the thing is uh, deaf. It can't hear her. Uh, excuse me, other way around. He's blind. He can't see her, but he can still hear Yeah, her. there you go. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I caught you. You caught <laughs> um, yourself, I should say. <laughs> there you go. Um, so, yeah. So, like I said, in the middle of this intense chase, the entire roof collapses. All the cameras go black. And then finally, one camera comes back up online and it shows our heroine walking out of the funeral home, out of the now destroyed wall, like the whole side of the building has fallen over. And she is basically walking out in a very odd manner. Um, I'm not sure if they're implying that she is now, that she has now become one of these creatures because unfortunately we don't see her face. All yeah. we see is, all we see her is from the back. And like I said, she kind of shambles out of the funeral home. Now, obviously that could be just because the whole place just collapsed on her, or it could mean that, you know, maybe this thing attacked her and turned her into whatever it is. So, and that is the end of the wake or the empty wake, however you want to go with that one. Um, like I said, for me, the strength of this is the creature itself. Once I saw that creature and once I saw the top half of its head with one of its eyes moving on the ground, I'm like, I'm sold. This was great. Uh, regardless of how this segment ends, I know I'm going to love it. And it, it's a quick segment. It doesn't feel that long anyway. And, um, yeah, pretty straightforward, uh, you know, uh, just uh, your basic girl by herself being marauded by some kind of supernatural creature. So, uh, yeah, what would you guys think of this one? I had a lot of fun with it. Um, like you, I thought the setup was great. I like the um, atmosphere inside the funeral home, the creaks and groans, the knocking, shuffling, whatever you want to call it. Uh, the payoff is fantastic. I love the creature. I love that you get a little bit of its, um, like, you know, like you said, the, you know, deaf and, you know, blind kind of an attribute in just like a short amount of time. I was a little thrown by the multiple camera switches. I thought 
that was yeah. just a weird little touch that just it doesn't feel like a full like a natural found footage kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. It felt a little bit too forced, like an actual like movie shoot up. But yeah, uh, that's a niggling flaw with me. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. mind it, but um, it kept it from being like one of my favorites. <laughs> Mike, what'd you think? Just of below. It's just below, but I, I still really like it. Nice. Mike? Uh, yeah, so this one, on my second watch, I really tried to pay attention to the dialogue from her bosses and from what the the one guy that showed up to the wake. Obviously, he's speaking a foreign language and no subtitles, so you don't, you never really know what he says once he sits down. Um but as far as her bosses go, yeah, I couldn't really pick up because I was trying to figure out going into the second watch if I could pick up on anything to suggest that like she was like some type of sacrifice like yes. put there by herself overnight on purpose. And honestly, I, I came out of my second viewing with feeling it was just as ambiguous as the first. And <laughs> that's probably going to make some people like the segment more or make some people like the segment less because, and I also agree at the end when she kind of gets up and shambles, uh, I tried to pay attention even like even closer attention the second time. Like, is she a zombie now? Or is she just disheveled because a tornado freaking hit her, <laughs> her place of work. And I still couldn't a hundred percent tell. So this, this one kind of, it really has like the aspect of a found footage uh, segment because you truly don't get any more explanation than what you see in the video. This has a true feeling of like, if you just found a random VHS tape and threw it on, you don't get any extra exposition. Mm -hmm. You don't get any extra explanation. It's like all you, all you as the viewer see is exactly what plays out on the tape. And I thought it was a like a creative way to go about it without really trying to um, explain or overly give you any uh, indication 100 percent wise. And I mean, the good side of that is it generates the conversation because everyone's going to try to like pick out little things, you know, on multiple watches that they can uh, say definitively it's this or that. But Mm -hmm. I'll say through two watches, like I'm not going to lie, I still don't 100 percent know. I I lean towards, yeah, the guy visiting that whatever he was saying in um, the language was some type of like uh spell or, you know, mm-hmm. voodoo or something to make that body resurrect. Um, uh, just cause he was there so quick, right? He sits down says that and gets up like almost, he knows he has to get the hell out of there in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, 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 another good segment. Um, so yeah, we're still chugging along. Great. Nice. Yep. All right, so after this segment, we are back at the warehouse for some more SWAT team silliness, more dead bodies, more VHS tapes found, blah, blah, blah. We we hear a mysterious female voice over the intercom making announcements like, all are welcome, things like that. Very Zelda-like, but uh, Zelda Rubenstein, but yeah. Um, so off to... Segment number three. Oh, by the way, that segment, The Empty Wake, was written and directed by Simon Barrett. So 
more pedigree there. Um, off we go to segment number three. And uh, this segment, uh, as we mentioned uh, earlier, is also directed by the same person that gave us uh, this spectacular segment, Safe Haven in VHS 2. I am going to absolutely butcher this name, but I'm still going to try. It is Timo Jahanto. Let me Jah- do Jahanto. What is it? Timo Jahanto. Jahanta, that makes more sense. It is Indonesian, so yeah, I guess that totally makes sense. So yeah, yeah. Um, once again, uh, the return of uh, you know the, the director of up to this point the best segment of a VHS film uh, to give us a what I call a biomechanical nightmare in this one. This segment is called Terror. Uh, our segment opens up in a lab. The entire segment is in the same lab. Uh, once again, kind of a large warehouse secret location type thing. Uh, but what we see oh, is... My, wait, uh-huh. uh, this is the subject. Terror is the last one. Uh, oh, shit, did I get that wrong? Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. I think this is called the subject. Yeah, this is Oh, the you subject. are correct. You are correct. This is the subject. Why the hell did I have those backwards? Man, the subject would make a way better title for the fourth segment. <laughs> oh, well. Anyway, so yes, our segment is the subject. And our our segment opens up to our mad scientist who is uh, speaking um, to someone. We're getting the POV view of that someone that he's speaking to after about a minute or so of him speaking all sorts of cryptic dialogue. The camera turns around and shows us a human uh, a human head on a mechanical spider body. Uh, maybe a crab. It might have only had six legs, but, you know, something like that. Um, as soon as the doctor basically tries to release the creature, it short circuits and catches on fire. And our doctor looks into the camera and once again says, ah, another failure, blah, blah, blah. We, we see other people in his lab that are still alive. We see a woman out cold in a chair. We see a half naked man strapped to a gurney. And um, obviously future test subjects for our um for our uh, mad scientist, if you will. Um, what's funny is I kind of looked at this as a Tetsuo, the Iron Man prequel, uh, just because, I mean, it's, it's way more biomechanical than Iron Man uh, was, than Tetsuo was, um, because obviously this doctor is making these people into biomechanical nightmares and obviously failing miserably because they keep dying on him for whatever reason. Uh, then as he's kind of speaking into the camera, he, he sets up a camera in his lab and he's kind of talking to it as most scientists would. Um, he starts working on his latest victim. And just before he starts working on her, we see a news report on the television talking about a woman that's missing. And they already, the, the police already know who the culprit is. We see the doctor's picture and name on the television screen and, um, is, uh, you know, he kind of looks at her and, you know, kind of, almost kind of smiles like, hey, look, they're talking about you, blah, blah, blah. Um, we then see the doctor kind of start to work on this character. He he basically opens up her brain pan, cuts like the top of her skull off, removes her brain completely. Uh, then he does some other stuff that we're not privy to until later in the segment. Um, But basically, uh, throughout the festivities, we also see him working on another much larger creature uh, sitting on a gurney. This one in particular uh, looks a little bit like um, the guy in Shang-Chi who had a machete for an arm. 
because basically the creature has exactly that. His arm, uh, the doctor turns the creature on, if you will. His arm comes up and a giant blade comes out of the stub, out of the metal stub on his hand. So very similar to that character from Shang-Chi. Um, but then he shuts the, uh, the creature off and says, ah, I still have work to do with this one. So he leaves it alone. He goes back to our female character. Now, for a large part of the rest of this segment, we're actually watching it from her POV. And what we see on screen is we actually see like a little bit of time code and the word, not time code, but like the word live and then a battery symbol that is draining slowly as the segment goes along. Uh, they're very careful not to show us the woman until the reveal later on, but she's not speaking. She's kind of just speaking in grunts and noises, things like that. Uh, but she is cognizant of who she is. She, you know, she still remembers who she is after the doctor did whatever it is he's doing to her. And at this moment, uh, the Indonesian police show up and uh, they, they've got the doctor dead to rights. As soon as they walk into the lab, they don't even attempt to arrest the doctor. The doctor literally puts his hands up, almost like he's giving up. He asks a question, why are you arresting me? Something like that, because he, he tries to explain, I'm doing this for the benefit of humanity. I'm trying to, you know, help, um, you know, blah, blah, blah. The whole to make an omelet, you got to crack some eggs mentality. Um, but at this point, the the lieutenant, the main police officer, just has no interest in arresting this guy and literally uh, gives the order to his team to just gun him down, which they do. They shoot him about 40 times with machine guns and um, he is dead and gone. And uh, yeah, we definitely don't see him again. But then the rest of the segment is basically the police team going through the lab and finding all of the failed test subjects, blah, blah, blah. But then they find our girl. Um, our latest victim. And, you know, she's still, we're still seeing it in her POV. So we're still seeing the live indicator in the top corner. We still see the battery on the lower corner with slightly lower battery life left in it. And then uh, the SWAT team basically decides um, this may be the girl that we're searching for that's um, missing, but there's no way we're going to bring her back to her parents like this. And the police lieutenant uh, basically makes the decision to kill her, um, a mercy kill, if you will, at least in his eyes. But the cameraman, uh, who doesn't seem to be a member of the SWAT team, he's just kind of like a police cameraman following the team around, uh, defends the girl, says, no, 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 we don't have the right to make this decision. If that's her and she knows who she is, which she did, because multiple times, like when they mentioned the missing girl, she would like raise her hand and try to wave at them. Uh, same thing when the lieutenant pulls up the gun and puts it up to her face to try to kill her. She's got her hands up waving trying to say no no please don't shoot me the lieutenant doesn't care just as he's about to pull the trigger the lights go out and then we hear a recording from our mad scientist uh where he basically says if you're hearing this then i am dead and you are fucked <laughs> in in so many words maybe not in exact words but yeah 
And basically what happens is as soon as the alarm goes off, it locks the facility. So all the cops are locked inside. And then our big boy, uh, machete hand, if you will, is activated. He wakes up and we see him rise and he's basically he's mostly machine. Uh, there's very obviously a human body in there, but it's still wrapped with cables and conduits and all sorts of different stuff. Its head has basically been removed and replaced with a camera on like a tripod, like the top of a tripod stand, not the actual legs, but just the base of it. So his head is literally a camera. And at multiple times, we actually do get to see his POV shot, not nearly as much as our female victim. Uh, and he, as soon as he's activated, he just goes absolute beast mode. He is killing cops like they're children. And this is the segment I was talking about that has a lot of CGI stabs. Like we see the machete hand go through uh, police officers and it's very obvious that it's CG, but because the lighting is so low and they utilize, you know, light and shadow just very beautifully, it's not as big a hindrance. You know, it doesn't take you out of the movie. You might notice it. I, obviously we who've watched thousands of these damn movies at this point uh, are going to notice it, but you know, it, it's a minor grievance, honestly. Like I said, this segment is just stellar. So our big boy goes around killing cops left and right, but then suddenly he turns his attention to our female victim. Apparently he doesn't seem to recognize that another person is in the same predicament that he's in. And he starts to chase her throughout the facility. Obviously, if any cops get in the way, he's cutting people in half, cutting heads off. It's just spectacular gore. Um, but then suddenly our big guy catches up to the girl, to our female victim, and he goes to kill her. And then our cameraman shows up, our cameraman who was kind of defending her earlier. He kind of intervenes, um, gets pushed away, and then our lieutenant shows up again. And once again, the lieutenant wants to kill the girl, uh, you know, in his eyes, like I said, mercy killing. But then our big juggernaut boy shows up and just absolutely decimates him. Um, our cameraman and female victim are trying to get out of the facility. Unfortunately, you know, our big psycho boy uh, shows up and starts to kill the cop, cuts off both of his arms, which is pretty fucking impressive. And then we see the POV shot of our female victim and we see the battery flashing red. Uh, I'm not sure if that means that just the, uh, just her vision is going to go out or if she actually deactivates when the battery is dead. And then this is where we get our first shot of our female victim. And she looks not nearly as grotesque as our machete hand creature, but basically what the doctor has done is he cut off the top part of her head, like from her mouth up. Uh, he cut that entire part out and replaced it once again with a camera, artificial brain, all that stuff. And we literally see her looking into the mirror, trying to, you know, make heads or tails of what she's become. Obviously, she freaks out a little bit. But then at that moment, that's when she hears uh, the big juggernaut uh, killing the cameraman who's been nothing but friendly to her the entire time. She comes up behind the juggernaut, pulls off the camera off the top of his head, exposing the brain, the human brain inside. And she literally just 
jams her hand in there and pulls the entire fucking brain out in what is a glorious splash of blood all over the place. Uh, the juggernaut falls down, but unfortunately at that point, it's too late for both of our final characters. Our police officer um, falls dead, you know, missing both of his arms. And then our female victim, finally the battery goes out and she just, you know, goes black. And that is the end of the segment. And my God, I have an erection just talking about it right now. I love this segment so much. This is such an epic segment. Um, again, like I said, it's going to be a love fest. I, especially with this segment, I literally have nothing negative to say. The CGI stabs would be the worst thing. But like I said, they make up for it with using the proper lighting to kind of hide it a little bit more than normally. So, oh, man. Uh just to get me to stop talking about this spectacular segment, uh, Mike or Don, come on in. Tell me what you think of this one. In the interest of moving things along, I came so hard, I'm still recovering. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so the funny thing is, uh, the first time I watched it, I actually thought the segment was going to end when the SWAT team comes in and murders the doctor. And even at that point, if it would have ended... I would have been like happy with the segment thinking, Oh, this is a pretty good twisted segment. But then uh, when the alarm or security alarm goes off and we get the message saying, yeah, you guys are all fucked now because there's no escape. And like the, the big boy creature wakes up and carnage ensues. I was like, damn it. He's done it again. <laughs> Another, freaking amazing segment that is probably going to get talked about i mean i think if anything uh, even for people that don't like uh the movie overall as much as uh some of us do they're going to be talking about this one and it's pretty incredible the the design i thought was really cool just even the opening when like you said the the head and like the robotic spider uh contraption uh it's really quick because it fails catches on fire but it, it just kind of gives you a hint of what we're in for and i was like holy shit like i could have had a full-length movie just based on this segment because this was incredible it's just really well made man the, yeah. the doctor he, he's that 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 maniacal laughing mm -hmm. like after everything he says exactly it, it, it's it's so perfect and I love the the cameraman, the SWAT team cameraman that's like uh, frantic and kind of disgusted as everything he's taking in that he's seen. And mm -hmm. he doesn't quite know how to react. He, he's trying to uh, go with like his gut versus like what the protocol is. And there's that conflict. And man, th this segment is just incredible. I, I could watch it over and over and over. Yeah, it, it feels like they took the best parts of Frankenstein's army and mashed them into like a 15, 20 minute segment. Uh, just literally, I, th that's all the vibes I was getting as I'm watching. Yeah, same here. Yeah, so, I mean, kudos, Timo. This was just such a stellar segment. Um, like I said, I will die on that hill that this is potentially my favorite horror anthology segment of all time. Just so fun. It gets right to it. You know, there's no pacing issues, no waiting. You know, you get a ton of gore, a ton of kills, a ton of, well, maybe not a ton, but a couple of great creatures. And you can even throw, uh, you know, a spider boy from the beginning of the segment in there. So you get like a few cool biomechanical creatures. But yeah, 
this segment, uh, just an absolute roller coaster ride, just a pure guilty pleasure, comfort food, whatever you want to go with. It is just so stellar. So, yeah, before I waste another hour on this segment alone, let's go ahead and move on. Once again, we're back at the facility. SWAT team is still going around. At this point now, they're finding dismembered body parts, you know, more than just the victims who pulled out their own eyes or had their eyes pulled out by someone else. Who knows? Um, we don't really get confirmation on that, but, you know, you know let, your, let your imagination run wild. Uh, and then we go to our final segment. Now, this particular segment looks like it was literally shot on VHS. Like the video quality in the entire segment is very lacking compared to the first three segments. The first three segments, obviously being different combinations of security cameras, um, you know, first person cameras that people were holding or had implanted in their head. Um, this one literally looks like it was shot on a VHS camcorder from 1989. So, um, you know, instantly the, the, the quality kind of, you know, you, you notice the quality right away, especially coming off of the subject and, uh, you know, it, just how great that that segment looked. Uh, basically, we start out with some very right wing, um, all, you can pretty much say terrorists, considering what they're planning on doing. Uh, but in the beginning of the segment, we see them go into a like a cell like a where they've got someone held hostage there. And literally just unceremoniously, one of the, um, you know, patriots, quote unquote, uh, shoots the guy in the head with a shotgun. Just and, and there is no cut. It, it's literally you see the guy pointing the gun. The camera is solidly on the victim. And then, blam, big hole in his head, large, you know, exit wound behind him, blah, blah, blah. And then we see uh, the, the the patriots, if you will. I hate calling them patriots, but that's what they call themselves, even though I can't stand their definition of patriot, but whatever. Um, we see them start to collect up some of the blood that's coming out of the head wound from this character. They then go outside. They inject some of the blood into a bunny rabbit, a little white rabbit. They put it in a cage and then they put it out uh, in an area of the woods where as soon as the sun rises, the sun will hit the cage. What we see is that as soon as sunlight hits the bunny, the bunny just beautifully explodes into just a mass of red mist all over the place. Um, it's a pretty big explosion considering it's just a tiny bunny. But obviously at this point, horror movie fans, you know, our gears are turning. We kind of know where the segment is going at this point. Um, but Basically, what we see is it's the next day. And once again, uh, we see our Patriots go into the same holding cell and our character, the same guy that was shot in the opening scene, is alive again. He's sitting there unhurt, you know, no wound on his head or face. And they end, and they end up doing the exact same thing. They shoot him in the face. He it, this time around, though, just before they shoot him, he says, please, no, no more. Um, obviously, you know, once again, kind of getting the mystery solved. And once again, they shoot him. They collect up his blood. This time they put it in a container and hold on to it rather than do any more experiments. And then we start to hear their plan. And what their plan is, is that they're going to take, I think, a government building like City Hall or something like that. Uh, they're going to take over a building and set off some kind of explosion. We don't know what exactly, but obviously from what we saw with the bunny, 
we kind of can start putting two and two together and figuring out what these guys are going to do to their political rivals. Um, but uh, that night, the night before they're going to go and, uh, you know, uh, uh, complete their plan, uh, there's a little bit of a problem. Basically, there's a party. All the guys are kind of drinking and celebrating, you know, because it's the night before the night that they're all going to be famous, according to them. And uh, what ends up happening is uh, the guy that's actually watching our prisoner ends up getting drunk. And uh, one of the other guys in the group comes over to him and says, hey, let's go fuck with the prisoner. You know, they're drunk idiots, of course. Uh, the guy who's watching him at first says, no, 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 that's stupid. I'm not going to do that. Eventually, after having a few drinks, he relents and says, all right, fuck it. Let's go to it. They go he goes into the uh, the holding cell where the victim is, and he the victim's out cold at this point. He's not, like, up and around. Um, he's still on the ground kind of bleeding from, I guess, that evening's uh, gunshot. And, you know, he starts, uh, the, the guard starts dancing with our prisoner, and then he gets dared to kiss him. One of the other guys dares him to kiss him. And literally, just as he goes in uh, to have, like, a little, uh, a tiny little smooch, the lights go out. The power goes out completely in the facility. Uh, everybody's freaking out. Um, when the emergency lights come out, the prisoner is gone. Nowhere to be found. And instantly they start setting off alarms, letting the commander know, hey, he's loose. Uh, we don't know what happened. Um we see one of the guys that was kind of fucking with them. His head gets thrown out of the main entrance of the facility where they're holding him, And everyone outside is like, ah, shit, he's loose. Then right after the head comes rolling out, we see the guard, the night guard, the one who was supposed to be watching him come out. Um, and he looks unharmed, like he doesn't have any wounds on him. Um, it doesn't look like he's been turned into anything. But then suddenly, this is when we get our um, actual explanation. We hear one of the Patriots yell out, don't come out here, dude, you're covered in vampire blood. And then as soon as he says that, the guy walks out into the sun and explodes in an even more glorious explosion than the bunny. So now we know that we're dealing with a vampire. Our prisoner was a vampire. They were harvesting the vampire blood so that they could take over this government building. I can only assume they were going to, you know, weaponize the blood, you know, uh, inject it into innocent people so that as soon as they left the building and went out into the sun, kaboom. Um, and of course, you know, uh, I assume they were going to be going after certain politicians. I mean, they don't really get into it. They just they briefly show us the building that they're going to take over. Uh, they show us the the shipping uh, entrance, like where the trucks drop off deliveries. They decide that's where they're going to go in, blah, blah, blah. But of course, the shit has hit the fan at home base. Our vampire is loose. And then is this is where we start to get some cool vampire set pieces. We eventually see that this vampire is very reminiscent of the Reapers in Blade 2. Anybody who saw Blade 2, you remember there were the vampires, but then there were the, the more advanced vampires that actually had uh, jaws that dislocated kind of like a predator um, so that they could basically bite off an entire human head. So they were very similar. I mean, we only get one vampire in this story, 
But every time we see him attack one of the Patriots, uh, he looks very similar to those Reapers from Blade 2. His mouth and neck completely open up to a large gaping mouth full of teeth. You know, at one point, we actually do see him bite the head off one of his victims. Uh, And then what we see is there's a little bit of a standoff, a gunfight. Um, Most of the Patriots at this point have died or are dying. And we're left with our vampire and the commander. Um, I forget his specific name because they just call him commander all through the segment. And and then we see something that we probably don't often see from vampire films. Basically, the vampire um, covers our victim in blood, in his own blood, and puts him in a cage that has like a retractable roof above it. So it looks like this group of men have been doing this for a while and they even have an exit strategy. Like this is how they were going to get rid of the vampire after, you know, they were done with him after his usefulness wore out. The vampire ends up finding this room, throws the commander into this cell, and then he opens um, the roof, killing the commander and himself. The vampire actually, I guess, was just sick of living in this world and being, you know, a a pawn in their plan. So he literally takes out himself and the commander once again in a big, glorious explosion. Unfortunately, the camera in this room is a black and white camera. So we're not getting, you know, the full glorious red explosion, but we still get a very cool looking explosion. And that is the end of our fourth segment, which is uh, now correctly called terror uh this one was directed by ryan prouse um and yeah that is our fourth and final segment of the movie so gentlemen what did we think of terror i fucking hated this (laughs) the guys are i fucking hated this uh this did nothing for me um i didn't care any about anything about the guys their mission is bullshit the vampire action is just underwhelming, and I, I, I couldn't find much of anything to praise about this one. Hmm. Mike? Yeah, I I like the vampire being thrown in a setting we're not used to. I, mm-hmm. I think I've mentioned that on other, either Fresh Cuts or uh, No More Room in Hell, when we I think we were covering vampire films last time. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think, it, you know, it's kind of cool seeing... You know, because it, it feels like a very random story for just a vampire to be in. Um, and, you know, I, I thought obviously their mission is bullshit. I mean, no one's pro what they're trying to do. But um, I, I just thought it was funny. Like their downfall is having a big drunken redneck party. <laughs> and then the dude, the dude gets on the mounted gun in the back and he just can't control and starts shooting everybody. And that the other funny. dude has to, the other <laughs> dude has to take him out out of fear of him killing more people. Which he did. Then he the poor killed sh- a couple. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, he did. And then the poor schlub walks out of the facility with the vampire blood on him. And for his efforts, he uh, gets blown up by the sun, which is, <laughs> I, I, I laughed at that. when he's like, you got vampire blood on you, idiot or whatever. And <laughs> boom. Um, but yeah, I, I thought it was a good segment. I, I, uh, was a fan. Yeah. This is probably the weakest segment of the film for me, but even having said that, I still really enjoyed this segment. I, I don't know about ending the film with this one. I would have liked to have seen it end with either the subject or maybe even, um, 
empty wake, but because they started strong with storm drain, but they end with one of the weaker segments, which is kind of odd. But like I said, even saying that it's one of the weaker segments, um, other than Don, obviously me and Mike still both really enjoyed that one. It was a little bit different. Like I said, it wasn't a standard vampire story. It does go by really fast though. Like the pacing is almost breakneck because as soon as the vampire gets loose, it's just kill, 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 you know, flashing lights because the main power has been taken out. Like I said, they only have emergency lighting at this point. So, you know, it's a quick one at least. So even if if you're not a big fan of this final segment, at least it doesn't take up the majority of the runtime for the film. Um, but ultimately, you know, I still had a really good time. And then that brings us, to one final time to the warehouse where the SWAT team is. Now, throughout all of these wraparound segments, we see two women, uh, part of the SWAT team group, who are very bossy. You know, um, one of them tells the cameraman, stay right on me no matter what happens. Make sure you're recording and make sure you're always right behind me. Um, we see these two women kind of being bossy. Um, even though their rank maybe doesn't dictate it. Like, they're not the commanders of that force. There is one distinct commander, and he is the final survivor, if you will. At this point, when we go back to the warehouse, uh, there's only a few SWAT members left. Uh, like I said, it's the, the the commanding officer and then these two women. And then the big reveal is that these two women are actually the ones who are doing everything. They are recording all the videos they are kidnapping people, bringing them to this facility to then watch all of these videos. And I, I assume they're the ones that are killing all these people off. The reason that I'm not a big fan of this ending is that it's a little too ambiguous. Like they don't give us any kind of explanation why they're doing this. Just general insanity, I guess. Um, you know, there's no real finesse to the reveal. It's just very matter of fact. As soon as that fourth segment ends, we go back to the warehouse. We see the commanding officer tied up in a chair. And then we see the two women come out and basically lay out exactly what they've been doing. But like I said, it's a little too ambiguous for me. And I don't know. I don't have a problem at all with the fact that it was females who were running all of this. Hell, women are just as insane as men are in this world. I'm very okay with that. I just felt like it was a little underwhelming considering we got four segments that are varying de degrees of good to great. Uh, this segment just really kind of leaves a sour taste in your mouth to end the film. So literally the last thing you see is not the most satisfying ending, not the most satisfying climax to a VHS film. But because of the strength of the four segments, I still say this may be my favorite in the franchise. Um, time will tell as I continue watching um, you know, VHS over the years. I, I'm not going to take too much time right now to go ahead and watch all four back to back. But in the very near future, I will definitely watch VHS 2 and then VHS 94 back to back and give a definitive rating on how I feel about the two films and which one I like best. But for now, this is an incredibly strong entry into the franchise. Um, like I said earlier, probably not the segment you want to start, not the chapter that you want to start with in this franchise. I would solidly say start with one. After one, you can watch the next three in whatever order. They're not connected to my knowledge. Um, and like I said, 
most of us agree that the third chapter VHS viral is potentially the weakest of the, well, is the weakest of the franchise. I'm not going to say potentially. It mm-hmm. absolutely is the weakest of the franchise. There were still a lot of segments in the first one, like Siren, um, the very first segment that I did enjoy. So, yeah, I mean, what else can be said about uh, this film? I adore I, it. I fucking love it. And it's in my top three for the year. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do wonder if maybe there was more wraparound stuff that got cut because, you know, we're, it looks like we're already at a running time of an hour and 43 where it's at. And maybe they just thought like two hours or if they went any longer, it would just be too much because the wraparound is kind of ambiguous. It doesn't seem like there's very much nope. story to it. And usually if you're going to have a wraparound like that, you're going to end it with some type of like bigger finale or at least more like explain more to the viewer they don't really do much of that well it's it's been a while the first one that one hit two hours right Uh, right around yeah if i remember correctly yeah i'm saying that maybe that right around i mean this might actually be one of the shorter ones if i remember correctly i'd have to go back and look but i mean maybe it's just because i enjoyed this one so much and viral since I wasn't enjoying it, like I, I thought the very first segment in VHS viral was the weakest. So uh, why would you open the movie with the weakest segment? But, you know, it's the choice that they made. And coming off of, you know, VHS viral, this was just a, a return to the greatness of this franchise that we saw in parts of one and mostly in VHS two. So, yeah, I'm I'm very happy that they're back stronger than ever. And ultimately, that means we'll probably continue getting chapters. Um, I made the joke earlier that maybe they'll do Betamax next or potentially Laserdisc. Maybe we'll get the Laserdisc series next. But even if they just keep going with VHS, I'm on board for this franchise. I will always be a fan. And, yeah, love, love, love this movie. I'm yeah. done, Mike. <laughs> Yeah, um, I, I said it in my intro. Uh, this was good enough for me to make me want to check out two and three. So, yeah, um, I'm definitely on board. If uh, two and three are going to be close to this, uh, I I know what you're saying about two being the favorite. So I'm, I I definitely do want to check that out sooner yeah. than later. Awesome. Yeah, do it for sure. Because going into this one, two was my favorite. It, Mm-hmm. If I if I did what Venom did, I, I it could still end up being my favorite. It's just that this one's so fresh in my mind, I'd have to like rewatch yeah. two like back to back just to be sure. Um, but yeah, overall had a blast with this. Kind of, I was kind of surprised at how much I liked it. How pretty much I found every segment to be good to very good mm-hmm. and that's really all you can ask for in an anthology right i mean other than kind of a lukewarm wraparound but then again I, it, it almost feels like the wraparound being good is less important when the segments are so good <laughs> so i i guess there's that yeah on, on that mm-hmm. um, yeah um I definitely feel that way. I'm much more of a person that as long as the central premise holds fruition, I'm less likely to find that part of the film important to to really enjoy it. As long as like the central idea of like, okay, well, why are they setting up these segments? As long as that, as long as the central idea is good, I'm less likely to mind if the wraparound is good. But mm-hmm. um, no, I just I'm saying. Like, you know, if I find the central premise of why they're setting up the stories, like I said, as long as that's good, I, I'm less likely to care about whether or not I actually like the rap. Yeah, exactly. Like, like I said, I mean, 
it's good to have a strong wraparound. I'm I'm on board for it, obviously. But if the wraparound is the weakest part of an anthology, to me, that's how it should be. The, the strength of the film should always be the segments. If we happen to get a great wraparound as well, then it's just icing on my horror anthology cake. <laughs> yep. Well put. Well said. Um, all right. Well, Venom, uh, why don't you let everyone else know where, uh, well, they probably know by now where they can hear you, but what do you got <laughs> going on? That's all nice. right. Uh, we just recorded a new episode of the main show, No More Room in Hell, episode number 38, where we looked at a couple of voodoo zombie films. We looked at 1966 is, um, The Plague of the Zombies from Hammer Films, and we also looked at 1988, I think, Serpent in the Rainbow. Um, check out that. That should be available soon as you're hearing this. Potentially it may be available, but within a day or two of listening to this, the main show will probably be up. Like I said, that's episode 38 and also available on the Dark Discussions Podcast Network. Um, next episode of Fresh Cuts, I'm pretty sure there's this little movie about a holiday coming out that maybe a few of us are going to go to the theater to see. So, Ooh, 4th of July, 4th of July, 4th of July. No, no it's Arbor Day. Oh, wrong time of year, damn it. There you go. <laughs> We're too damn early it. for Thanksgiving. Come on. <laughs> damn it, wrong time of year like always. Exactly. So, yeah, obviously Halloween Kills will be our topic for next week. Check that out. I'm sure we will have a lot to discuss on that one. This is probably one of, you know, one of the biggest horror releases of the year, if not the biggest horror release in theaters. So, yeah, this is going to be huge. Obviously, I would imagine we may have a guest or two, as generally when large, you know, movies like this come out in theaters, a lot of people will go see it opening weekend. So we'll see if we have a guest. Either way, the three of us will still be here to discuss the latest chapter in the adventures of Michael Myers. Um, on Creature Comforts, uh, we have decided on episode two, we're going to be looking at 1941's The Wolfman. Uh, we decided to go ahead and do a universal horror for October, so The Wolfman was the obvious choice. Um, so look out for that. That'll be getting recorded uh, in the next week or so and should be out shortly after that. It'll definitely be out before Halloween, so look out for that right here on this feed, the No More Room in Hell feed. Um, and then uh, It's Not Horror Okay, still on hiatus for October. Uh, in the Mic of Madness, uh, we'll still be having a return episode in October. Uh, Rebecca and myself are in the process of figuring out our uh, what our topics are going to be for that episode. So once again, look out for that on the Dark Discussions Podcast Network sometime before Halloween. And then, oh, and the return of Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space. We finally got back together. Um, you know, we were all able to, you know, find a day and time that worked for us. And we got together to discuss 1966's uh, Gamera versus Baragon. Uh, and, of course, we continue our episodic retrospective of the original Ultraman series with episode 23, I believe. And um, that's it for my main shows. As far as guest spots go, uh, Joe Blow Horror Show, I reviewed A Day of the Dead with those guys. Uh, the Dark Parade, episode one with Bo Ransdell. 
Uh, we discussed Psycho, and then tomorrow night I'm actually going to be on the next episode of The Dark Parade once again to discuss the greatly underappreciated Psycho 2. Though I will admit, over the last 10 years or so, a lot more people are coming out in support of Psycho 2, and that's great to see because I've always felt it's an underappreciated chapter in the Psycho series. So uh, check that out. That'll be on the Legion Podcast Network. I did two guest spots recently on Cut to the Chase with Dan and Lacey. Uh, the full episode, we reviewed uh, Adam's Family Values, which was surprisingly a first-time watch for me. In fact, it is the only Adam's Family film I have ever seen, live-action or animated. So uh, tune into that episode to hear our thoughts on that. And then on a uh, another episode where they are doing a commentary for all 31 episodes of The Simpsons Treehouse of Horror, I was on volume seven, which featured The Thing and I, you know, Bart's uh, conjoined twin living up in the attic. Uh, so uh, that one was a lot of fun. Tried to bring as many facts to that as possible. Unfortunately, The Simpsons is so endlessly entertaining that it's just so hard to shoot facts in there and not have people miss any of the jokes, you know? So, uh, you know, I thought we still did a very informative episode. So check that out. Like I said, that is cut to the chase. Uh, that may be, um, uh, the Lacey Lou, the commentary. I'm not sure if it's actually cut to the chase or if it's skipped to skip to the Lou, but regardless, it'll be the same feed either way. So check that out. Um, no, those are uh, cut to the cartoon. Oh, are they? Okay. That's so, what, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, that's what they're labeled as on my player, yeah. Cool. All right. So, Cut to the Chase uh, series. Um, let's see. I will be doing a guest spot on the podcast Under the Stairs, uh, making my return after completing our summer series recently, the very grueling summer series that a lot of us did. Uh, but I will be returning for a review of the Halloween uh, series, and the chapter that I will be reviewing is Rob Zombie's H2. Uh, I've only seen the movie once, and it was when it came out in theaters, and I remember not liking it very much. So this is going to be a first-time uh, rewatch for this. So, you know, let's see if maybe, you know, with my 2021 eyes, I see more in the film than I saw the first time. Uh, like I said, that'll... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that'll be recording this Saturday, and I assume that'll be out shortly after that. Um, Jerry Herring uh, from Kill the Cast, an underwater kaiju from outer space, and myself did a guest review for uh, Gary Hill's Cinema Beast podcast. Uh, Gary is currently running The 31 Days of Howling Beast, where he reviews 31 films, one every day in October, that have the word beast in the title. Uh, Don did one earlier in the month. I'm sure he'll discuss that. Uh, Jerry and myself did uh, 1995's The Day of the Beast, or as it's known in Spain, El Día de la Bestia. Um, I won't say much about the film. It's a quick review. It's literally like 15 to, to 18 minutes long. It's spoiler free as opposed to all the other reviews that are being done, because this is, like I said, it's probably the newest film in the series. And in case, and I know that there's a lot of people in the community that haven't seen it. And I feel that a lot of people should check this out. So if you want to hear our spoiler free review of the day of the beast, uh, check that out in the coming, in the coming days on the cinema beef podcast feed. And I think that's everything, Mike. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, Don, what do you got? 
All right. So um, as Venna mentioned, Creature Comforts number two recording uh, coming up in the next few days. Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space. Hopefully will be released by the time you hear this. Uh, the only other thing is uh, the as of yet unreleased uh, episodes um, I did with Phantom Galaxy looking at Indonesian horror and my uh, my guest spot on uh, Indie Film Cafe doing uh, Butchers for their 31 Days of Indie Horror segment. Then uh, the other thing is, um, as Vanna mentioned, the uh, guest spot on the 31 Days of Howling Beast Howling Beasts for uh, Cinema Beef Podcast, I ended up doing uh, The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms. So, oh, such a great one. Yeah, um, I, I tried to praise it as much as I could in 10 minutes, so... <laughs> yeah, uh, definitely check that one out. So, until uh, uh, next time, I think that's all for me. Alright, cool. Um, as far as me, yeah, No More Room in Hell, number 38 is on its way in a couple days i also did uh cut to the cartoon commentary for treehouse of horror and what else i recorded once bitten that will be released for the chaser's 31 days of halloween and i will be recording um friday night nightmares a special halloween episode with them coming up in a little less than a week's time so yeah i got some stuff on the side as well and yeah like venom already mentioned the uh, the next episode of fresh cuts pretty much is locked in halloween kills unless uh, i hate it. a big one <laughs> yeah really um it, yeah it's it might be the biggest remaining release of the year just as far as across all my uh-huh. horror fandom um you know it might not be like any of our personal like biggest but just as far as the scope of the release and the yeah. mass amount of people that are probably interested in seeing it it's probably the biggest one left yep. um so yeah we'll see uh what people have to say i mean 2018 had a lot of different opinions on it <laughs> and i would expect the same out of this one oh, yeah. so we'll we'll find out soon enough it's it's coming up in a handful of days so with that said, we're going to get out of here. Thanks, everybody, for listening to another episode of Fresh Cuts. We will be back in a week to talk everything Halloween kills. So until then, let's say bye to the listener. Adios! Late. And hail Satan. Later. Be kind, rewind. <laughs> <laughs>